Hi, everybody. Welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm your cruise director. (laughs) I said that last episode. I don't think it's as funny as I think it is. I'm Meredith Atwood. Thank you so much for joining me. This is an episode that I would have never imagined would ever take place or um, I couldn't have foresaw, but I was a guest on Suzanne Falter's podcast um, a couple of months ago and we we recorded the episode and afterwards we were just chatting and, and she was telling me her story. And I said, are you kidding? This story is amazing. I want you to come on my podcast. And so... I, I invited her on this podcast and she brought her friend, Debbie Granger. So Suzanne Falter and Debbie Granger are very dear friends who met when Suzanne's daughter passed away. And that's all I'm going to tell you because the story is extraordinary. It's, it's heartwarming. She, they got me teared up several, several times. Um, this is also going to be a video. So if you would like to watch it on my YouTube channel, it's YouTube. Um, username is M N Atwood. I don't have swim bike mom on there, but M N Atwood, you can watch the video and I'll also post the link to the video in the show notes. But this is a story that will leave you so warm and so just with so much faith in the universe, <laughs> the everything happens for a reason, even when it's impossible to see that in the moment. And the strength of Debbie and Suzanne and their friendship is just so encouraging. They're funny, they're adorable, and I'm so grateful to call them my friends now, whether they want to call me their friend. I'm your friend. You're my friend. Um, but anyway, so Suzanne Falter, Debbie Granger, today's guest on the podcast, check out their new podcast, Back to Happy. It premieres July 9th, so around the time this episode is landing, on all the wonderful platforms, um, iTunes, Stitcher, and I believe Spotify. You can check out the podcast at um, SuzanneFalter.com and click the link for podcast. So thank you for joining me today. Please, 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 if you like the same 24 hours podcast, and I know you guys do because you're listening, but if you like it, please drop me a rating on iTunes. It's super helpful. It's not for anything. I don't make money off of a rating, but it allows other people who might be interested in this type of content to find it and to enjoy it. And so it's, it's very helpful. And as always, check out my book, The Year of No Nonsense, How to Get Over Yourself and On With Your Life, available wherever you love your books. So enjoy this episode with Suzanne Falter and Debbie Granger. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast on video and audio. I'm so glad you're joining us. I have a very special couple of ladies with me today. 
Um, I was on Suzanne's podcast and at the end we were just chatting and she started telling me a little bit about her story. And I was like, hold up. I need you on my podcast, <laughs> you and Debbie. So Suzanne Falzer is here and Debbie Granger, and they're going to tell you about a pretty remarkable story. So Suzanne, I don't know who wants to start, but you guys, I just well, love it. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Meredith. Uh, thank you so much for having us. I'm Suzanne Falter. And I'm Debbie Granger. Yeah. Um, and our story is that we met through organ donation. And I mean, the... stop there. Come on. <laughs> who, who meets through organ donation? Like you hear about this, but this, I mean, okay, sorry. I just think it's well, so and generally, generally people who are uh, meeting from organ donations, such as our circumstances, they meet briefly and go on with their lives. Right. You know, right. and, and, and some don't are. meet at all and some don't meet at all. Yeah. You know, so the fact that, you know, I'm the mom recipient and Suzanne's the mom donor and for us to be, you know, friends and, and dear friends, actually, you know, at this point and yeah. very, very and, much. And just our circumstances are extraordinary. They really are. Yeah. You know, I okay. Think. So let's back up. Let's All right. See. So I mean, Debbie, we just jumped too Debbie, far ahead. I went, I went way too fast. <laughs> too fast, Debbie. Debbie. <laughs> you should tell your story first because it really was the first part of this. Well, in December of 2006, my daughter started actually a little bit before that started getting a little bit lithless and, and just not herself needing to take naps during the day. And, and so finally, um, through treacherous circumstances at a hospital that wasn't helping her, we found out that she, her heart failed and really badly heart failed. And it was undiagnosed for a really long time. And how um, old was she? She was 19 at the time. Oh, okay. Wow. Yes, um, she barely graduated from high school and was getting rolling, you know, trying to make a living and she had already moved out of the house and, you know, it was just shocking, actually, that she was that sick after barely having any kind of illnesses throughout her life. So, and then by the time to fast forward, by the time she was 26 is when she had, after many, many trips to the hospital and uh, pacemaker placement and replacement due to her slender body, um, she had six many, surgeries. many yeah, six, six surgeries, surgeries <laughs> and an open heart surgery to put a valve re, uh, gasket basically on to stop regurgitation. Wow. Um, she went through a lot over many, probably about a year in the hospital over that six years. Um, you know, give and take, you know, coming home. And, uh, she was, like I said, she was 26 by the time she got sick again because of the leads or sicker, I should say, because the leads had been reinfected with bacteria due to another placement of the, pa of the pacemaker. And so she, um, had to be, in the hospital that stent for about nine weeks to make her healthy enough to be viable for transplants because she was very sick. So she, they had to get her healthy enough to be okay to sustain these transplants. So, uh. yeah. So she was, uh, like I said, 26 and, and, uh, we went to, the hospital on august 23rd and on august 24th at midnight she was transported in to have heart heart uh transplant surgery and then eight hours later 
after watching her glow like some kind of magic wand was over her. <laughs> then she went into kidney surgery. It was quite incredible watching her after the surgery. She wow. had this glow about her that was just incredible. That was, I mean, I just couldn't stop looking at her. I stared at her for the whole eight hours that they had her in there. I just couldn't take my eyes off her. It was incredible. Um, it was just this magical sparkly glow that was over the top of her. And the uh, nurse told me that it was because she now had some circulation going, but it was just more than that. I don't know. I just, I feel like it was a touch of teal. Just, yeah. It was just really magical. It really okay, was. Okay, a touch magical. of teal. What does that right. mean? Right. And who you may ask and was teal. And then who is teal. Right. <laughs> right. I was like, wait, teal? No, that's a color. No, that's no, not a teal was my yeah. daughter. Teal right. was a very joyful, spiritual, ebullient, highly, highly compassionate person whose nickname was Quan Yin, the goddess of compassion. Wow. No one ever gave me that nickname. That is quite... <laughs> I don't mean either, right? That is quite <laughs> a nickname. <laughs> me <Wow>. three. <laughs> wow. So, um, Teal had epilepsy. And she had a very well-controlled case of epilepsy, seldom had a seizure. And she was a world traveler who would go all over the world with her little backpack and her travel guitar. And she was a great blues singer. And she would stand out on the street in Dublin or Copenhagen or Ghana or Laos or Tibet. I mean, wherever she was and play music and people would just fall in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> and this was her spirit. And wow. uh, she was in San Francisco at the time. I had just moved there from the East Coast. And um, she was spending a year or so, quote unquote, studying to be a healer because she really wanted to be a healer. She had been studying at the Berklee College of Music to be a blues singer, had dropped out and had pursued a calling to be a healer. And I had dinner with her in a little restaurant in North Beach section of the city. And uh, two hours later, I got a call that she was in the ER in critical condition with cardiac arrest. And it made no sense. It was just like, what? 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 Wow. What? It was just hard to believe. And I got in there. I got into the hospital. And I looked around and I saw her lying on this bed covered with paraphernalia because, in fact, she had collapsed in a locked bathroom in the apartment she shared with a housemate. He had found her. He had called the paramedics. They had resuscitated her heart, but she'd had no oxygen for 15 to 30 minutes, which cooks your brain, basically. Mm. So there was no way she was going to get out of this alive, and I knew it. And I looked at her. And I had this profound experience of knowing that my whole life was about to change dramatically and that she would die and that we would start something together in a very kind of mystical way. And I had no idea what that was. And I was not a particularly like conscious or aware person at the time. This was coming out of left field, but it bombarded me like a fire hose. And for the next, uh, she died six days later, and we had the opportunity to donate her organs. And her heart and kidney went to Debbie's daughter, though we didn't know who received it, and we didn't know for some time. Um, and it took about a year, but we had been told that there was going to be some sort of uh, chance to connect with the recipients. 
So my former husband wrote a really beautiful letter about Teal and her unique spirit. And we sent it out to, it was sent out by the organ donor people to um, the recipients. There were also two other women who received her kidney, uh, her, one of her kidneys and her liver. So we didn't hear back anything for a year. And then one day I got this email and by now I had been grieving for two years. I hadn't been working. I had been a successful um, marketing entrepreneur online and uh, <laughs> that went to dust in a hurry and I'd done nothing for almost two years except constantly say, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be doing something. What am I supposed to be doing? And worrying about that. And um, in came this email and it was this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful letter from this young woman named Amara telling us about how we had saved her life. And I didn't even know what that meant, you know? I mean, okay, we did the right thing. We donated the organs. The kid wanted to be a healer. Okay, fine, you know? <laughs> but honestly, you don't process what that means in the moment. I'm, right. I'm still working on this. And Debbie and I did not meet until five years after the transplant because her daughter said a great thing. You know, we got, she, she contacted us. She wrote us this letter. She said, I would like to meet you if possible. I would like to connect with you. Great. So I sent her an email that afternoon and I never heard anything. But because I was grieving, I had mistyped her email address. Oh, I was, I was no. so, you know. I'm going to say, yes. grief clouds your brain. And if anybody happens to be grieving who's listening to this, check your emails. Most, yeah, yeah. <laughs> check your yeah. spelling. Check every detail because oh. they're going to be wrong a lot of the time. Mm. And so I was, I just sent an email to the wrong name and the wrong address. And a year later, I was like, hmm, I never heard back from Emma. That was funny. So I looked at the email I sent her, realized my mistake, contacted her, and she called me. And we, we, we connected with each other and we had this powerful conversation and we agreed we would uh, try to meet soon. But what was really funny was she kind of put the brakes on. She said, you know what? I'm not quite ready to meet you and I hope that's okay. And I respected that immensely because I thought, okay, this is a person who's really in touch with their feelings and knows how to set limits and knows how to take care of themselves. All so right. I backed off. And it took, oh, I don't know, um, two more years or three more years for us to actually meet. But then came the day when we met each other. And it was so amazing. I mean, I'm going to punt to you, Debbie, on that. <laughs> well, we were at her five-year, we had planned on going down for her five-year checkup and integrated meeting Suzanne and her partner in, in that time at Ocean Beach where incidentally teal's ashes are strewn so an amorous choice that that we meet yeah, there and so we met oh, wow. walking we walked from one end of the beach and they walked from the other end of the beach and we hugged and we cried and we looked for suzanne's shoes yeah i lost then, my shoes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That was that, pretty silly. Yeah. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Yeah, but and Debbie, that, you were like an organizational master. Can I just say that? You were like, okay, I'm on it. You spread out here. You go there. I was like, awesome. She knows how to get stuff done. I know? do. I do. Ask my sons. You're mean. I was, wait, we're done with this fence? Come on. You know? 
someone's got to take charge around here. I do, do. I, start, I start delegating and throwing orders around. I was in dentistry for 35 years and had to do that. So it was like, come on, let's get it done. You know, you do this, you do this, and I'll do that, and we'll get it done. So, I, yeah, that's definitely my personality for sure. Wow. Uh, wow. But anyway, so, then we had dinner. Five years later. I'm just keeping up with the timeline. Okay. Yeah, that's five years later, right. Five years yeah, later. Five years after transplant and a couple different, you know, contacts. But yeah, this was the real deal where we're actually meeting, you know, face to face. And we had a lovely dinner and, and discovered things about each other. And then Suzanne had a uh, laptop with her that allowed her to show us a video of Teal singing. And we stood there and bawled and, you know, and <laughs> my daughter even said, I know her. And it was profound uh, to hear her say that because she had seen pictures and this and that, but it was just different. It was just different. She was just like, I know her. And it was so heartfelt to hear her say that. And, and like I said, we all bawled. And then we walked out to the car and I brought a stethoscope with me so yeah. she could listen Oh, to stop it. Oh, I did. Yeah. I brought a stethoscope with me. And, and, oh. and she was funny, though, because she's like, well, I haven't heard this heartbeat since she was in utero. utero. Yeah, I'm saying that <laughs> well, wrong, like probably. I listened <laughs> a lot when she was a kid. <laughs> you, know, you, know? you don't listen to your child's heart growing up. But it was like, to me, it was just, if it was me and it was the other, if our boots were on the other feet, I would want that. I would Y'all are killing me. I know you've told this story a hundred times, but I'm over here like I can't keep it together. Oh my oh, gosh. Well, I've, I've had my issues here when no, I listen to her. We especially. usually cry at some point. Don't worry. Oh my we're gosh. We're just not warmed up enough yet, right? But it's, I mean, it's a beautiful story though. You know, I mean, sure, it's full of little tears and it's full of laughter and and wow, you know, both of us have been on quite a journey, but it's just a beautiful story. It really it's is. It's just such the, you know, it's such the paradox of life, right? I mean, just that, that life is so f much full of pain and joy and pain and joy. Yeah. And yeah. that sometimes it's the same in the same moment. I mean, yeah. in that moment with the stethoscope, so much pain, but so much joy. But I mean... <laughs> It's, you two are just like a metaphor for life. Well, <laughs> you uh, should have like buttons kinda. made and everyone can be We've like, been through a lot. Well, We've here's been the through crazy a lot, thing. that's for sure. Here's what, here's what really blew my mind that night. We met Amara, my, my wife and I met Amara, and she impressed me immediately as this thoughtful, sensitive, present person. And, you know, Teal used to go around literally saying to people, just be just be. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me that you're saying that? What do you mean just be? But Amara had that presence. And she also was so empathic. She was talking about the work she was starting. Now get this little detail. Teal was going to take classes at San Francisco City College that began the day after her collapse. And Amara ended up going to City College to get a degree as a cardio stenographer and give people heart ultrasounds. Oh my God. So Amra, in a way, continued Teal's healing work. But Debbie and I met that night. The other thing that was clear to me about Amra was that she was a, um, I wouldn't say shy person, but she was not rushing to be in the front of the room. I mean, would you say that's accurate, Debbie? <laughs> yes, I would say that's accurate. She said no. to me, I invited her to appear with me on stage because I am a speaker and now Debbie and I actually give speeches together about this, but I invited her to do these talks with me in the beginning and she said, no, 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 I'm not even close to ready, maybe someday, yeah, kind of, but 
um, that night, I could see, when I met Debbie, I could see that she was a front of the room person. <laughs> and, I, and I left that dinner thinking, oh, Debbie and I could be partners. We could tell a great story. We could go on the road together. I was like way out there in my, you know. And, and I love my wife, you too. I'm like, I want to go on the road too. What can I do? And I, need, do I, to, involved? I need to add that I've never public spoke and it scared the holy crap out of me. I need to add that. Yeah. Let's throw that she actually, she actually texted me. I, I mean, here's how it went. The day after, I'm thinking, boy, I'd love to ask Debbie to give talks to me, but I don't want to appear to take advantage or anything here. I got to be careful, you know? <laughs> and um, she texts me, hey, if you ever want somebody to give a talk with you, I'd probably <laughs> pee my pants, but I'd be willing to try. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I needed a diaper is, I think, what I told her. <laughs> He was so funny, Suzanne. If you provide like, a I, diaper, I'll be good, you know. <laughs> provide a diaper. No, but Suzanne, like, you and I are a lot alike because I'm yeah. the same way. Like, if I drive with someone right away, like, mm. at dinner, you know, we'll be out in the car. I'm like, so, do you want to, like, go travel to New York and do a, you know, people are like, and some people major are like, event. yeah, let's do it. And other people are like, and I never hear from them again. You know, it's I know. like, I know. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm my person. But, you know, yeah, when you know. Exactly you know yeah when you know you know and that's so you put on your diaper and you started <laughs> speaking like how did that happen she did it was it was miraculous <laughs> debbie i just want to share did. the details of that first talk <laughs> to set the context i i was invited shortly after i met debbie and she said she wanted to do this i was invited to give a talk to 300 nurses here in oakland california we both live in california and uh debbie lives some hours to the north and i asked her hey would you like to give this talk with me? She's like, back with the diaper, you know? <laughs> Let me think about that. But anyway, I didn't tell her how big the talk was, and I didn't tell her it was at the Oakland Civic Center. And um, <laughs> she found that out the morning of the talk. The Civic Center, oh my gosh. Not <laughs> to you, Debbie Granger. <laughs> uh, yeah, I well, and I had spent, what, we had about four months period of time to where I could start, you know, like doing some kind of talk. I'd never even written a speech before, you know, in college kind of thing, writing papers. That's about it. I never wrote a speech. I got, I stayed away from those classes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Far and wide. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I started on that and she helped me edit it. And so I, I knew it by the time we got to that point, I knew my speech pretty well, not to mention, I certainly know the story. You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, I, I lived the story, so I know right. it really well. Um, so I think I was ready that way, but standing in front of a crowd, of course, is a whole nother story. And I had met a, a drama teacher professor the day before he had been in my dental chair. And he said, well, just think about your feet. And I'm all, what? <laughs> He said, think about your feet. And he said, actually, look down at them, take a deep breath, think about where they're standing, how you put, you you know, what, how they're standing. Are you standing on both of them evenly? Just all this little, you know, meta, you know, just kind of a little grounding kind of thing to mm. get yourself. And it, I actually looked at the gal in front of me's hair that <laughs> she had. She had all these beautiful colors in her dreads that were all tied up on top of her head. And that's how I ended up doing it instead of my feet. So I, I got that what he meant, but that's yeah. what I ended up doing. And she was sitting right in front of me and I was counting, counting all the different colors in her dreads and just kind of like thinking about something else. And then she went up to speak and she had the most 
eloquent voice and she was just a beautiful speaker and she was so smart and I just kind of absorbed myself into her. So when we got up there, I was just it was just nothing to me. I don't know and why. You know what? But she knocked nothing. it out of the park. It was nothing. She knocked of it out of the park. It and was and weird. people it was were nothing. on their feet in tears when it was over. And and, and I was did. so we impressed. Got a standing and, ovation. Yeah. Yeah. And we've we've done some some pretty good talks since then. But now of yeah. course, you know, we're on to the next thing, the podcast and and uh you know, all of it feels I want to give a little context here because while I was thrashing around before I'd heard from Emmer and I was trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Um, I had this one really, really low day and I was in a little office and I was living in a friend's bedroom. I was living on no money. I hadn't worked for two years because I just couldn't because I was so grief stricken. And um, I was trying to figure out how I was going to make money again and what I was going to do. And um, I felt teal around me. And I don't know if any of your listeners have these moments, but sometimes you do when people die. Mm. And uh, I heard her whisper in my ear, go clean out your inbox. And, you know, my daughter was a free spirit, but she was bossy. (laughs) It's just the kind of thing she'd say. So she said, go clean out your inbox. And I'm, you know, I had nothing else to do. So I cleaned out my inbox. And at the bottom of it, I found a letter she had written me the Christmas before she died. And I'd forgotten all about it. I hadn't looked at it since well before her death. And in it, she said, instead of giving you a gift, I'm writing you this letter. Now, here's where I'm going to get a little teary because it's so incredible. She said, you and I are meant to be leaders in light together. So I support any light leadership you have to bring to the world. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. Because I'd forgotten that I was still connected to her. I thought I was alone. I thought I was Mm -hmm. totally alone, and I had no idea what to do next. And, um, you know, not long after that, I met Debbie in my whole life. I met met my wife. I met Debbie. I met Amara. Everything began to change after that. And I began giving the talks, and then Debbie and I began giving the talks, and then the podcast showed up. And, you know, this is the light leadership. This is it. And Debbie yeah. even has little visits from Teal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I hope you don't mind me saying so. She tells me what to tell her mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, funny. I, I get little like five o'clock in the morning kind of like little. It has to be from her because she uses the word mom. It's just these little. And it's, it's interesting because I've had things like that with my, both of my parents and their yeah. past. You know, so it's, I don't know if I'm just my, I'm just focused to it or whatever the word is, uh, you know, open to it. I don't know. Yes. Maybe okay. Well, I interviewed um, a medium like several, <laughs> several hundred episodes back. Um, and she was talking about spirits and, and how people grieve harder when they don't believe that people can speak to them, when they don't feel the presence of their loved one who's gone. And I have, my grandmother died uh, four, almost four four years ago. And she is with me. Like she, (laughs) I mean, and I I was there when she passed and that, that had an impact. But I mean, I don't, and my mom, my mom grieves the loss of her mother so much greater. And it, it's not that, it's not that we have, I mean, it's a different relationship, but I believe she's hanging around. Like, I of believe course. she's here. Mm. And like, we, we have her 
bird was a cardinal because she was from St. Louis. And so Mm -hmm. we moved, when I lived in Georgia, there was always a cardinal in my yard. It, right mm-hmm. outside my office. And so, and I called her Mambo. And so I'd be like, okay, hey, Mambo, good morning. And I go about my day. And then when we moved to Massachusetts, I didn't see any cardinals. And I was like, man. And I was like, she just doesn't like the cold. She'll be here. She'll come. And, you know, it, months and months go by. And I tell you, last month, there she was outside my window. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Mambo, you found your way. You know, and it, but it is that belief that they're with us. You know, it's another realm. It's another whatever. But that is, it's real. I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> it is so, so real to have the presence yeah, of someone we, we could love actually with us. do a whole show on just that subject yes. to be very honest with you because yes, it's beautiful because yeah, i've had a few things happen and i'm sure like you said you know my, my yeah. mom's a, a hummingbird is my who my mom is nice. <laughs> yeah nice. she she always had hummingbirds at her house so and we take it so far in my house that like my kids know like mambo is the you know the bird and we'll be driving down the road oh there's mambo and then oh, one day sweet. we were driving down the road and here comes a red bird right in front of us and stella my daughter goes don't hit mambo <laughs> like, the, bird, the birds came so close and she was like horrified and i was like oh my gosh you know like don't that's you. funny that's <laughs> funny. part of our life so yeah well honestly it brings the to your heart every time yeah yeah every single time that's where it is is lays in in your heart so sacred you know it really does it it was incredibly important for me to be able to even get through this grief to understand it had a purpose and that Mm. i had a purpose and finding that letter about being a leader in light really drove it home for me because it made it so clear that there was a reason for all of this. And when mm. I met Debbie, we just naturally had this fun and joyful vibe and and um it really helped heal me, you know, becoming her friend. And in that way, you know, Teal has been a healer in many many ways since her death. And that's one of them for sure. Yeah. Not to mention saving my daughter's life. That's right. So I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. <laughs> so is she. It's surreal. I know. So wow. I think I'm We're the talk- only one that gets it. <laughs> well, I want to go back to something you said, Suzanne, when you went to see Teal in the hospital before, before, mm-hmm. um, right after her cardiac arrest. Collapse. And, yeah. and you said that you had a sense or, or she, she conveyed to you that there was that you guys would be together. Something you said was really profound. And I want to go back to that and how that has tied into how does that impact your, your new worldview really? And, and what is it that you want people to know that have not lost, you know, I've got two, I've got two healthy living kids, right? And what do you want? What do you want to tell me about that? Having been on the other side of it, that everything happens for a reason. And that this seemed like a tragic death. Like, how could her life end so soon? But in fact, the larger sense I got from the moment that I walked in and I saw her in that coma and I saw her stretched out was that it was exactly what was supposed to happen. Right, that's what you said. And I think our biggest issue as human beings walking around in these bodies at this time is we resist our reality as opposed to the idea that you could accept your reality and work with it. Debbie is a master 
at doing that, which is one reason I really wanted to share her work and her message and her ideas with the world. Because um, what we haven't even touched on is that Debbie also lost her home and her entire town in the largest wildfire in California history, the town of Paradise, California. What? And 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 that was that was after her daughter's life was saved and she almost lost her son in a car accident maybe a year later and he managed to walk out of the ER uh, out of the intensive care unit and survive and and when you go through that many losses and you are the resilient and upbeat and positive extremely dynamic person that Debbie is it just takes my little experience and goes oh yeah Okay, anything's possible. There's nothing little about your experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, it was pretty big. Nothing, but nothing relatively speaking, it. okay, honey, come on. <laughs> I don't know. I just figure, you know, they can't take me down, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it, is, like, is your grip on life different? after that kind of loss after mm, after good, each good loss question. like do you hold life looser and more gently like because for me uh, my husband says meredith atwood forcing her way through life since 1979 yeah. like he's like you just forced your way through life and cling to everything and i do better now um but i've always held everything very tightly and controlled mm. and and realizing that now especially like with the pandemic we control nothing, right? Nothing. Like, except That's the right. food we eat and our attitude. Um, but my instinct is to hold things tight. Like, just grip. And and if you hold it tight, you, you can not lose it. But after the losses you both have suffered, like, how did, did you always hold life loose? Or, like, how has that changed? Um, I, I don't know. We had a fire threat the other day, and I didn't feel very loose. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I got it. I gathered myself up, but for a few minutes, I was like, "Oh Again? crap!" You know, I mean, this just sucks. It's June, and we're gonna already have to, you know, go through a whole summer of this. So, yeah, that all went through my head. But I just realized, you know what? It's just, it's okay. I don't have anything from memories from a long time ago, anyway. So, you know, it's all brand new stuff, basically, as far as that goes. So. I, You're I like, kind of, time to redecorate. I'll just. I went with that. You know, it's like, oh, what do <laughs> oh, I want to no. do now? You know, I mean, <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like I don't hold on to the petty stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't let people rent free in my brain. Um, oh, I, I like that. Yeah, I just, I don't. I kick them out. They're, you know, taking up space and I don't yeah. let them in there. And, um, I think that's probably how I am with all the storms in my life. I think I just, you know, they whipped me for a minute and now they're done. You know, I'm wait I'm waiting for the next one. Duke's up, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love that yeah. because it's also a bit the way Teal was. Teal was really, um, when she was sad about something, she would call me up and sob for about 10 minutes and then she'd be over it. Be like, mm. okay, thanks. Like I that just too. needed to cry. <laughs> I'm like that too. I'm that's, very much that's like the that. Point. It's leaning mm -hmm. into the crisis mm -hmm. as opposed to running away from it. And we're both yeah. big advocates of that. Yeah, I'm well, pretty good about talking, leaning into it. Yeah, I was talking to one of my clients this morning who was in a bit of a crisis. And I told her, I said, I think the, the misconception is that we're not in a fight. 
that life is <laughs> supposed to be easy and then we fight because yeah. I said, maybe if we just reframe it, that this is the fight and mm. every day we're becoming a better fighter and we're warriors by nature. So it's fine. <laughs> um, you know, but if you always think like, you know, I'm here to fight, I'm here to show up, I'm here to, to, to do this battle that is life and it's uncertain, then maybe it's easier than thinking everything's supposed to be easy and oh no, this sucks. But I just no. don't think life has given you like a lot of easy. Like I, when you really look at the whole spread of life, I'm like, what has actually been easy? Hmm. No, this is a profound <laughs> point. And this is, this is the Buddhist philosophy. There will be suffering. Yes. There will be suffering, period. And our fear of suffering is <sighs> perhaps our greatest suffering. Well, it's when the, you go through what end. Debbie's been through, or what I've been right. through, it's like, you know, I don't fear death now. I really don't fear death. Mm, I don't Perhaps either. a little more than I used to, but I just feel like, okay, I welcome death. I will be that much closer to Teal, for one thing. You know, not that I want to die. I love my life. I'm very, right. very happy now. However, uh, and I've seen that in my son. We had uh, my former husband and I had Teal and our son, Luke. And Luke, who's now 25, he's a fearless dude. And uh, mm -hmm. he really became that fearless guy and took way bigger risks and, you know, was a climbing guide and an adventurer and a midnight, you know, backcountry skier and all kinds of stuff because he felt liberated in a funny way when he mm -hmm. realized Life he could sure. go through a deep crisis like that. Right. And like someone said that it's not suffering that we're afraid of. It's the fact that it might not ever end. That's that it. It's it's the this is going to continue forever. And so, what do you have to say about that? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there was a time when. Why are you laughing? <laughs> because it's an illusion, dear. It's an illusion. It's like, an illusion. I didn't get the joke. I missed it. <laughs> no, it's an illusion. Yeah. That that we think it'll never end. And and mm -hmm. I mean, I relate to that. I understand why people think that. Fun to you, Debbie Granger. Well, when I, my daughter was sick, I visualized her in my future as an older person. And I think that really held me on the ground because I could just see that and, and look forward to that. So to me, it was going to end because of that, not because of what was going on presently, but because I saw her in my future as, as healthy. Hmm. So what do you, that's what, what I rode with. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know? That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Yeah, exactly. What do you have to say about anger? Funny. We just did a show about anger. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's my favorite topic because I've been forcing my way through life. I have lots of anger. <laughs> you know, anger, it's really interesting too, because we are, we have discovered we are inherently very different people, though we are the best of friends and we both have different approaches to anger. Um, and I'm one to shy away from anger, to repress my anger, to not want to upset anybody or do something. Mm. Under, and it's been a great drain to my personal power because I actually think anger and power are intrinsically linked. Yeah, you know? I believe that, too. Yeah. And I like she said, we, t we approach things differently. I think when I was younger, I probably had that same. I'm just going to sit back and let it stew and, you know boil and do all that and i don't do that anymore i say it right now <laughs> <laughs> i get I that do. i don't know why i feel that Debbie. i, I, do. Say I, I say, say it now <laughs> yeah. yeah to my kids or to my honey or whoever you know it's like 
and it's probably hurtful sometimes. I try to be kind and empathetic when I'm saying it, but it, I'm sure it's not always, but but right. I let it go and it's not sitting on my shoulders, you know? Right. It's if not it wasn't for out. your anger, though, you and I never would have met because you had a pivotal moment where you had to get angry at an incompetent doctor and insist your daughter get looked at by someone who knew what they were doing who could finally diagnose her congestive heart failure. Oh, that yeah. That kind of I mad t- is power <laughs> in action. Yeah, I turned into a mama bear for sure. Oh. Definitely. Yeah, I she'd been three times and undiagnosed. And then finally, I said, honey, I know you're 19 years old. I know you're an adult, but I'm going with you. And I went with her and he started the same thing again about how she's dehydrated. She's probably just tired. It's her age. And I turned her around, lifted up her shirt. And I said, what's this puddle in her back? You know, why can't she breathe? Why is she sleeping all the time? You know, and I just shot a bunch of questions at him and his look was like, ah, I don't, you know, just stupidity, basically. And I marched out to the front desk and said, I need somebody else to look at my daughter right now. And I'm sure everyone that was in that clinic that day remembers me being there. I'm sure. <laughs> they have your picture behind the desk. Like, if yeah. you see this woman. Watch out for this Watch lady. Out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and I, I. I didn't yell or scream or do any of that. I was just very, this is how it's going down. You know, I just, and yeah, if I hadn't have done that and I just held back, she might've died. Yeah. Oh, she would have died. You got that doctor that day did a test and found she was at the maximum rating for heart failure. Within 45 minutes, she was on Mm -hmm. her way to a major city Mm -hmm. to go into cardiac care. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, she, if she had just gone home and we hadn't done all that, she would, yeah, she would have died. Wow, for sure. So, so being a mama bear and being angry and and throwing that anger out there sometimes is okay. You know, you can't just throw your weight around and you know scream and yell at people, but telling them how it is is sometimes the thing to do. <laughs> sometimes the thing to do. Sometimes right. the thing to do. Yeah. Well, Suzanne, I want to honor Teal in this moment. I want to, mm-hmm. I want you to tell me something that you want the world to know about her, because obviously you both are taking your message on the road and, and your new podcast coming out and, and her, she will live on through that. But I just want to hear, hear some mama stories. Cause I know if someone asked me about my baby girl, I'd have some stories for them. And so well, I would just love to hear you. something. Thank you for that. One of my favorite stories about Teal, she was a waitress sometimes and she would make, well, I don't know, maybe a thousand bucks working in a summer as a waitress. She would go to an airport with her cash in her pocket and she would look at the departures list and just pick a place and go. <laughs> And she spent the night in a few airports as a result. But she uh, really believed in Mm. the power of the universe to protect her. And she believed that uh, people were inherently good. And there are, I I discovered after her death, I started going, really going through her journals and her photographs on Facebook and so forth. And she had all these photographs from people all over the world. And if uh, viewers are interested in Teal, they can go to her Facebook page, which is now called Remembering Teal Barnes, B-A-R-N-S, and they'll learn all about who she was. And uh, on my website at SuzanneFalter.com, I have a little tab about Teal in the About section. And there is a great video of her singing Change Gonna Come that just melts you and just breaks your heart. Because she was just such a soulful, incredible singer. And she's singing the theme song on our podcast, 
which oh, is really no, fun. You it was too. You're killing yeah, me. Oh, it was recorded in 2006 with oh, her wow. uh, godmother, who is a professional songwriter, Alex Forbes. And um, honestly, uh, you know, so much about her was amazing. And, you know, she was always the girl who would sit with the kid nobody liked at the birthday parties mm. and be her friend. In, in, in that moment. And she would often have kids over from really dysfunctional homes who, who um, would act out in our house. But she was sort of holding space for them because she, she wanted them to be loved and feel comfortable. And she could just even when she was six, seven, eight years old, she could feel that something wasn't right. And she wanted to embrace them. You know, she had a bigger heart than me. Well, that's and, you the know, truth. I, but I got a better heart now. <laughs> but you hear stories about about people like Teal, and and I I had a very dear friend who died in a car accident at oh. I guess twenty two. Yeah, and my my sense of him was he was just too good for this world. Like he was he was such a good and powerful human, and he did so much in his twenty two years, mm. and it was like. God was like, ah, I think I want you to come hang out with me. You've done, you've, and it's, it sounds like Teal just, I mean, at 22, I was into two bottles of wine a day and hating my life in law school. You know, I was right. not standing in an airport, like, hoping to suck the life out of life. You know, <laughs> I mean, just, I wasn't doing it. And to hear a story that she was that type of person that just really saw life for, for so much value. And it's just beautiful to hear that she did live that. I mean, yeah. it's just wonderful yeah. to hear. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right, ladies. Well, tell us what's next. Where can people find you and, and about the new the new show? It's called Back to Happy because that's what we experienced. And that's what we're here to help our listeners who may be depressed or have anxiety or just be worried or just have some question about life. Mm -hmm. We're answering them. You know, we're doing I our can best. I think of two no better, no two better people than <laughs> <laughs> you two. Yeah, awesome. And where can they find it? Stitcher, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. We Apple love Apple Podcasts. Back to, and, back and, to uh, happy. Back to happy. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you can also drop by SuzanneFalter.com and hit the podcast tab. There'll be a direct okay. link. What about you, Debbie? Where can people follow you? At uh, Debbie at SuzanneFalter.com. Okay. Yeah. Is that Beautiful. right, Suzanne? That's right, because <laughs> she's being a little shy about the social uh, media, but we're going to get it going. <laughs> it's okay, Debbie. You can do it. If you can stand up and talk on stage, you can, you know, do Instagram. It'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank it's you for the that technical next difficulties. <laughs> it's more it's technical together. difficulties, though, than anything else. I'm I not know. shy. <laughs> I mean, if I could this have avoided it, I would have chosen to, but now I just can't. <laughs> yeah, no. And what's interesting is like, you know, I'm kind of old school Facebook. I think you're kind of old school Facebook, right, Debbie, wouldn't you say? Yeah. 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 Well, we'll get to Instagram because we have to be there. I know that. I actually <laughs> yeah. have a presence, but it's not very established. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. And uh, thank you. Thank you for bringing us this way. It's um, It's so great to have the chance to talk about this work, which is just so core for me. And I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad we came across each other and, and in mm -hmm. a, you know, serendipitous type of way, which sounds like anything you touch, Suzanne, might be that way. So. Um. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. And everyone check out their new podcast, Back to Happy and follow 
Suzanne, SuzanneFalter.com, and Debbie through there as well. And we'll Debbie, see them yeah, both on Instagram yeah. sometime soon in the future. Yeah. All right, everyone. Have a great day. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.